So good morning. Last week, we kicked off our two-week message series on love by laying the foundation for what love is. And how special, as I said last week, was to see you guys and see what happened and see God move. Love is exactly and exclusively what God says it is because he is the author of true love. In fact, the word of God says he is love. So true love can never be defined outside of who he is. The world's definition of love is always changing and redefining itself. But true love is unending and unchanging. Love that comes from the world always revolves around self. It revolves around self and what we can get. True love that comes from God, on the other hand, revolves around others. And it's all about what we can give. No matter how much the world struggles to define love or how much the the world keeps trying to redefine or reinvent love, God's definition of love is absolutely crystal clear. And it will never, ever, ever change. Because true love reflects the very character of God. And to begin to understand his character, we can look at the greatest definition that the world has ever seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I say begin to understand his character because love is only one attribute of God. God is love, but we cannot flip this around to say love is God. God is love, but that's not all he is. There are so many other attributes about God. God is also just. He is also holy. He's righteous. He's sovereign. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, immortal, infinite, and so much more. You guys know I'm ready this morning? (laughs) But to begin to understand his character as it pertains to love, we have to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where his word says love is patient, love is kind, Love does not envy, meaning it is content. Love does not boast. Love is not proud, which means love is humble. Love does not dishonor others, meaning it is respectful. Love is not self-seeking. No, it is self-sacrificing. Love is not easily angered because it's calm. Love keeps no record of wrongs because it's forgiving. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails because love is enduring. Let's pray. God, we need your presence. We need you here. And we ask that there be a move of God unlike we've ever seen happen right here in this room, in our hearts today, Jesus. Help us to see you for who you are through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Love is the greatest calling of our lives. Now, last week we talked about what love is. This week we're going to talk about what love does. Chad, miss you, brother. Man, it's so good to see you and Alyssa back there. Praise God. You guys had a good time in Hawaii? Woo! I didn't mean to single you out, but I just saw you smiling back there, and I'm like, that's my brother, Chad. 
Now, when one of the Pharisees asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus responded in this way in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. Here's what he said. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus goes on to say, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus sums up the entire law right here. And he says, loving God and loving people. That's what it's all about. Everything is based on this right here. This is what love does. It loves God and it loves people. If we love God, then we will love people. And if we love people, we will do no wrong to them. How important is loving people? Man, I'd say it's pretty important. Jesus said loving our neighbor is as equally important as loving him. And the Apostle Paul, he said this in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. He said, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So it fulfills the requirements of God's laws. We are to love our neighbor. That's what true love does. Now, it's easy to love those who are lovable or who love us in return, isn't it? But we are called to a much higher standard than just loving those who love us in return or loving those who are in our little circle of family or friends. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. He said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Jesus just raised the bar on what love does, didn't he? As children of God, we're not only to love our neighbor, we are to love our enemies too. That's what love does. Now, that word perfect that we see there, it doesn't mean maybe what we think it means. It doesn't mean sinless. The Greek word that's used there is the idea of being mature, being complete. So you could read this as, Be mature, be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is complete. Now, in the natural, doing this is impossible because you might be sitting there thinking, well, how can I love like this? Well, you're right. In your flesh, it is impossible. But in the supernatural, we absolutely can. If we try to love on our own without the power of God flowing through us, our love is going to fall short every single time. Because love comes from God. You got your hand out. You can put that in your blank. Love comes from God. He is the source of love. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love, and love comes from Him. So to understand how we are to love, we need to follow how God loves. And the greatest and most compelling act of love the world has ever seen is when Jesus laid down his life for our sins, being the perfect sacrifice which served as the payment for our sins. That's what true love does. It humbly and sacrificially lays down its life for others. It serves others, not for what it can get, but solely on what it can give. This isn't too big of a challenge for those that are close to us. But what about our enemies? Or those who are living lifestyles that do not coincide with ours? How do we love those people? How do we love those who are marginalized? How do we love those who are living in outright rebellion to God? How do we love when it's inconvenient for us? How do we love when we don't feel like it? Now, as I said last week, love is not a feeling. That's what the world wants us to believe, that love is based on our feelings, but feelings are selfish and they're fleeting. True love is not based on our feelings. True love is based on who God is. So when we love, we reflect his character. This is what love does. It takes self-sacrificing action to serve others. It makes a conscious choice to love in spite of everything that may say otherwise. And it does this based on the power of God because true love comes from God. Now, let's look at one of the greatest examples of love in action. And this love was to someone who really didn't deserve it. And by the way, none of us deserve it. That's the entire point of this story that I'm going to share with you because the moment we think we deserve something is the moment self-righteous pride is about to take over. The story that I want to share with you comes from John chapter 8. So please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. You don't have a Bible with you? We've got plenty of them here on the shelf that you're welcome to borrow. You can follow along on the screen on your mobile device, but I need you to follow along because this is good. All of God's word is good, by the way. (laughs) All right, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives... But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. 
And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is an amazing story because it shows the love of Jesus in action. The Pharisees were so motivated by their own self-righteousness that they really didn't have any desire to see actual justice. If they were really after justice, then let me ask you, where was the man that committed adultery with this woman? They only brought the woman to Jesus. The law required that both the man and the woman who committed adultery are to be put to death. You can see this in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, or Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. Both of those references talk about the man and the woman being subject to penalty by death for adultery. So it's very odd that the man was not also brought to Jesus. This entire event was designed specifically to try and trap Jesus. If Jesus were to say, to the, say about the woman that she should not be stoned, then the Pharisees knew they could say Jesus violated the biblical law. But if Jesus were to say, go ahead and kill her, then they know, knew that he would violate Roman law because Roman law said that the Jews could not execute someone. Either way, they felt they had Jesus trapped. But they had no idea who they were dealing with. <laughs> we don't know what it was that Jesus wrote in the dust of the ground. We don't know. Two different times in his story, the word references him kneeling down and writing in the dust with his finger. Maybe, maybe it was he was subtly reminding the Pharisees that the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. He was the one who authored the law that they were trying to trap him with. We don't know for sure. But the main point of this story is what Jesus finally says in response to the Pharisees who were demanding an answer for the accusations that they were bringing against this woman. Jesus finally said, okay, if you really want to see this woman stoned, then you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. That ought to smack us right in the face. That ought to smack us right in the face with our own hypocrisy and with our own self-righteousness especially when we look down our noses at people and we complain about them and we pass judgment on them. Are we going to be a church that judges others? Are we going to be like so many other churches that are just full of hypocrites and self-righteousness? Or are we going to be a church that loves others the way the Bible says to love others? Are we going to love others regardless of their messy lives or their sin or their lifestyle or the way they look? I pray that we do. I pray that we become the hands and feet of Jesus to all those who desperately need him. Because let's face it, this world desperately needs Jesus. Who's going to tell him about him? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? We need to be his hands and feet. Because the fact is, we can't throw stones if we're busy washing feet. Do you hear me? We cannot throw stones if we're busy washing feet because washing feet is what love does that's what love does love is not afraid to get dirty love is not afraid to get right in the middle of someone else's mess and love them out of sin and to jesus because that's what love does these pharisees were so quick to want to condemn this woman for her sin knowing full well they had their own sin that needed dealing with I wonder, I wonder if one of them was the man that committed adultery with that woman. He wasn't grilled for his sin. Only the woman was. Where was he? 
And how did the Pharisees know to catch this woman in the very act of adultery? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? We don't know for sure. But the fact is, we all deserve death because of our sin. Every one of us. The Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of the love and grace of God, we can be healed. We can be restored. We can be redeemed from our sins because of what Jesus did for us. Everyone deserves that opportunity. Our church should be a hospital for the broken people in our community that need to come in here and get hooked up to an IV of truth and love of Jesus. Because that's what love does. We don't gather here every week to be an exclusive country club, right? Where we just sit around as believers and whatever. That's not what we're here for. Nor are we here as one, you know, for the reason that I heard one pastor say this week. He said, we're not here to be a Pharisee factory. I thought that was so good. I had to use that. <laughs> Pharisee factory. Man, we don't need to produce Pharisees of this self-righteous and hypocritical Christians who are ready to condemn anyone that doesn't reflect what they're comfortable with or who doesn't suit their preferences. No. Notice how Jesus responded to the woman. He didn't condemn her. He didn't shame her. He didn't rub her nose in her mess. He didn't make fun of her or make fun of her poor choices. No, he simply said, go and sin no more. This is incredibly significant. For him to forgive her of her sin meant that he knew very well that soon he would go to the cross and die for her sin and for the sins of the whole world. Sin is serious. It's not to be dealt with lightly. Jesus did not excuse her sin. He said, go and sin no more. When we truly understand grace and mercy, we will recognize that it does not excuse sin, nor does it encourage sin. No, it's designed specifically to turn us away from sin so that we will then turn to thankfulness and obedience. Obedience that leads ultimately to holiness. Love shows both grace and mercy because that's what love does. How can we as the church see people lost in the poison of sin and not have the love and the compassion to give them the cure? As Christ followers, we have the cure to life's greatest problem, sin. Look out there today and you can see society blame all kinds of things for what's happening out there. The root problem is sin. That's what it is. Tell that to the media. See if they report on that. Sin is what separates us from a holy God. We cannot operate like ministering to people is a spiritual buffet where we pick and choose who we're going to love. The Bible is clear. We're to love our neighbor. We're to love our enemies. I've heard Christians say some very outrageous things about others. When that whole thing blew up on the internet about the kids, you know, wanting to identify as cats or furries or whatever it was, and there was the whole thing with the litter box and all that, I heard this. Those kids ought to be shot. Really? We should just give up on someone and kill them because they're lost and confused by the deception of the world? Really? Or how about the man at Target who dresses like a woman, who paints his nails? Should we take him behind Target and just shoot him too? What about the person who's caught up in alcoholism or drugs? 
What about the person who sells out their body? What about the person who's caught up in pornography? What about the person who's unfaithful with their spouse? What about the person who is homeless and he smells because he's on the street and he has no hope? Are these people deserving to be shot? Are these people unlovable in the eyes of God? I wonder. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves them all. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, even the most heinous sins that you can imagine. His blood pays for those sins too. Are we so above people that we cannot love them to Jesus? Now, we don't have to approve of someone's lifestyle. We don't have to approve of their choices, but we do have to love them. We are to build a bridge to help them come out of the lifestyle of their poor choices and come to Jesus. And it's not about just spewing truth at them either without any love. Oh, we're so good at that. The Bible says, and then we just, where's the love? Where's the love? As Christ followers, we need to build a bridge to people, not to build up walls of judgment and indifference. Love is the bridge that will lead to freedom. It's the means to deliver the cure for sin. I read an absolutely amazing testimony this week, and it came from an ex-transgender homosexual. His name is Jeffrey McCall, and he fell deep into a lifestyle deception lies and drugs and alcohol and intense sexual immorality. Man, if you read his story, you'd be appalled at what he got got himself into. It was just awful. But I want to share from his story because the transgender and homosexual movement in our culture is absolutely out of control right now. And the response to it from many in the Christian community is not good. Sadly, many in the church, they look down on these people and are so quick to throw stones at them. And again, listen to me. We don't approve or excuse the sin, but we absolutely can choose to love them to Jesus. Now, Jeffrey has seen what I absolutely have seen as well. He's seen that with many Christians, actually loving people was not their main objective. Christians are often so sidetracked and they're so busy with so many things and they forget about the basics of Christianity. Loving God, loving people. Jeffrey admitted that what he needed was someone to love him and show him Christ's love. And at one point in his life, when he was trying to turn things around, he said, everything on the outside seemed like I had my life together, but on the inside, I was screaming for help. I would say that there's many people like this. They're screaming for help on the inside. And we'll never know it unless we show them the love and truth of Jesus. Jeffrey went on to say this. He said, No one really reached out to show me God's love besides my parents. 
No one had shown me my importance to God that He loved me and had a much better plan for me. This should break our hearts. No one reached out. No one showed Him God's love. No one told Him His worth in God's eyes. He also said, I was so depressed and I felt an emptiness that nothing could fill. Sex couldn't fill it. The alcohol, not even the Xanax that I had always kept using during all those years. You know, listen to me, nothing can ever fill that emptiness. No amount of sin or pleasure can fill that void. Only Jesus Christ can fill that void. When Jeffrey finally did begin to get some help, he found a teacher that he was going to the university studying, and this teacher was sexually molested as a child. And she had remarried, she had uh, joy, and he latched onto that. And she spoke truth into his life. She didn't condone his sin, but she spoke truth into his life. But you know what happened? The minute he tried to get help, guess what happened? The battle intensified. The enemy came on so strong in his life and tried to lure him back deeper into sin because that's what the enemy does. But that's not what love does. Love doesn't lead to sin Love doesn't lead to overlooking sin or excusing sin either. No, love leads away from sin. Love leads people to Jesus. That's what love does. Fortunately, because of the love, the compassion, and the grace of God, Jeffrey finally chose to give up his lifestyle of sin. He gave up his identity of being a transgender and homosexual. That was a big deal for him because all his identity was into this person he created called Scarlet. That was his identity, but he chose to give it up. He finally made this decision, and in his words, he chose God over sin. That's what it came down to for him, and that's what it comes down to for everyone. Are we going to choose God or are we going to choose sin? Because you cannot serve two masters. There can be only one. And now that Jeffrey understands God's great mercy, he wants to share it with everyone. And here's Jeffrey's message to all of us today. Here's what he said. He said, quote, As the body of Christ, we have got to put down the stones and show mercy and compassion to all people. End quote. Love does. What is God calling you to do today? Because as long as you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose. Love does. It takes self-sacrificing action that serves others. Let's pray. Almighty God, forgive us for when we've been judgmental, for where we've been indifferent, for where we've not shown the love that you've so freely shown to us, to others. Lord, we don't want to be like other churches. We want to be the church that you birthed here to show the love and truth of Jesus Christ to everyone. I pray today, Lord, that there would be repentance in this room for those of us who have got baggage that we're carrying that we need to let go of today. I don't know what that is, Whatever baggage that you may be holding on to today, this is the day to let it go in Jesus' name. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would fill our hearts and our minds with you, 
We want your presence. We want more of you. We want less of me, less of us. We want more of you because you're the only one who can change all this going on. Your word tells us, Father, that if we will humble ourselves and seek your face, that you will heal. You will heal. You will hear us from heaven and you will come and you will heal heal our land and this land needs healing. Lord God Almighty, we pray, Jesus, that you would come and do a mighty work beginning right here in this room with these people so that we can go out and go forth and share the love and truth of who you are. Father, we love you. We praise you, Almighty God. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are our rock. You are our Redeemer. You are our hope. You are love. You are all that and more. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So I'd like to play a song. Someone can get the lights for me, please. I'd like to play this song. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'd like for you to just enter into worship. You can turn them off. I'd like for you to just enter into worship to your Heavenly Father right now. Ask Him, what do I need to do? What do I need to make right? with you today and I want to ask all of you that if there's something you're carrying that you need to let go of this is the time to do it I'll be up here I'm happy to pray with you I'm happy to talk to you but if and if you've not ever made the decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior this will be a great time to do it if you need help in that decision or what it's like I'll be right here come up and see me but don't leave here without getting right with the Lord whatever it is want to get on your knees, you want to come forward, it doesn't matter. Worship the Lord. How great this love Oh, it's moving on my mountains This perfect love It's casting out my fear How great this love Oh, it welcomes me like family And anywhere I go It meets me there He is good And He is God What I earned It's not what I got And He is just Yet oh so kind What I deserve It's not what I find What more could I say about Him? My God is love How great this love Faithful through my failures This trust in love Is with me till the end How great this love Oh, it's closer than a brother 
know my God is love. I know my God is love. This is enough to know my God is love. I know my God is love. I know my God is love. This is enough to know. Father, we thank you that your son set the greatest example for us in how to live our lives. We love you and praise you. God, show us the way to walk as you walked. Show us the way, Lord. Bring the fear of God. Where is the fear of the Lord? It should be in each of our hearts. The fear of the Lord is what keeps us from sin. We thank you that you've given us that. Lord God, we we long to see this room filled with desperate and broken people. And we know that those of us who are here in this room are broken in and of themselves. We're imperfect. Lord, we've got our own baggage got our own stuff that we carry around but we know Lord that there is hope in you and your word tells us clearly that if we'll confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness I thank you Lord for that cleansing I love what David said in the Psalms that created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me Lord we all need right spirits come, Lord. We want your presence. We want your love. I ask, Lord God, for a move of God in this community because we know that this community, this world, needs Jesus. They need hope. They need the Savior. And you're the only one who can do it. May our lives point to you without even a word being spoken, may people see us and know us by the love that we show. May this church be different 
May this church reflect the love and truth of who you are. Not in a prideful manner because it is not about us. It's about you. We love you, God. In Jesus' mighty name. The invitation is still open. If you're here and you need prayer, come forward. I want to pray with you. Will just said, he said, for a change, I want to come pray for you. Well, how about go for it, brother? to know that every week there are warriors who go in that room that Steve's leaning up on the door against in the back and they're praying. They're praying for you. They're praying for this church. They're praying for this community. It all starts and begins with prayer. And I want you to know that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And I just ask that you could faithfully join me in that effort all in this together. We are one big family. I want you to know I'm no different than all of you. I have my own struggles as I'm sure you do. And so I'm right there with you in the trenches. And we have the word of God as the sword of the spirit. Let's use the word of God. Let's wield the word of of God. God has given us the armor, all the armor we need. Let's not leave our homes without putting the armor on, right? Thank you for being here today. God bless each and every one of you. May there be a tremendous week. And guess what? We get to jump right back in to our I Am series, and we're going to close it out next Sunday. The seven I Am statements of Jesus, and we're on divine next week. And it's going to be something, I'm just telling you, because God is good. Bless all of you. You're dismissed.